Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We are very honored to have with us a dear friend of mine and of our program. He's been on several times, Steve Cortez, who served as senior spokesman and strategist for Trump 2016 and 2020 strat- uh, campaigns. Uh, we actually were together in the Advisory Board of Latinos for Trump. Prior to entering politics, he traded global currencies um, and for 25 years was involved in hedge funds, et cetera. He's been a contributor to CNBC, Fox News, CNN, Newsmax. Um, Very honored to have you with us, Steve. Thank you for joining us. We just wanted to give you some time. Uh, There's so much going on. Uh, Just share what's on your heart. And then Jim and I will focus on, on things that we believe are very important for our prayer for tonight. Sure. Thank you both for for having me and thank you for continuing these calls. They are just, you know, so important. They were so uplifting and necessary during the fight for election integrity and the sanctity of elections in 2020. And uh, it remains every bit as relevant now. So, uh, you know, I I keep exhorting uh, everyone who will listen that uh, we have a country to save and to do that, we need to pray and we need to work. And those are the two things that you are facilitating here. So speaking of work, though, I do want to mention the economy because that's really kind of my expertise. It's what I did before I got into politics, and I'm still relatively new to politics. I got in with Donald Trump when that guy came down the escalator. Uh, that got me out of business news and into political news regarding television, and it's, it's been my whole career ever since. But previous to that, my life was financial markets, capital markets around the world, and I still pay enormously close attention there. And I care a lot about it, not just because I care about money for its own sake or prosperity for its own sake, but because of what prosperity means for American families and for American uh, very vital institutions like churches, like Christian schools. You know, what does it mean for our communities to, to thrive in all ways? Uh, prosperity, financial prosperity is, is of course a, a key component of a thriving society. And unfortunately, what we see right now because of Joe Biden and because of his globalist agenda is the economic news lately has been just dismal. We just got more out today. The CPI, uh, Consumer Price Index, came out at 8.3% year-over-year annualized inflation. We are hovering right at the highs for 40 years. We literally have not seen this kind of inflation since the 1970s in the United States. Young people have never seen this kind of inflation. And what that means is that real wages, Mario, are crashing lower. Real wages meaning maybe you're getting a pay increase, and I hope you are. But the point is your pay increase in all likelihood is not enough to keep pace with the prices uh, that are rising in your life. And I mean prices for everything, not just the luxuries. I mean for the necessities of life. We have double-digit price increases right now for grocery stores, for electricity, uh, for gasoline, certainly, for used cars, for, for things that are not luxury items, for things that are necessities for American families. Now, I would submit to you, uh, the corporate media is trying to fool the American people. And they're, they're really using two excuses that, that I'd like to, to debunk. Uh, one is they're trying to say that, well, this is just a global crisis. There's a, there's a global inflationary spiral in the United States. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, let me give you some of the numbers because I believe in data and evidence, not just political sloganeering. Uh, as I mentioned, the U.S. inflation rate right now is 8.3%. Let's look at some peer countries, meaning other advanced economies in the world. Switzerland, 2.5%. France, 4.8%. South Korea, 4.8%. Singapore, 5.4%. Uh, so yes, there's a kernel of truth there, which there often is in propagandizing from the corporate media. Inflation has upticked around the world, 
but nowhere near to the degree that it is it is accelerating here in the United States. That's the reality. And then the other excuse that corporate media, the second one that they're trying to use to justify this inflation explosion or to rationalize it, is they're saying, well, this is just because of Putin. It's just because of what is going on in Ukraine. And that is simply a falsehood. Let me give you some, some more numbers, some data and evidence there. Crude oil per barrel, because of Donald Trump, because of what he did to unleash American energy, where we became not just energy independent, but energy dominant, where we were uh, you know, an energy superpower, full spectrum energy superpower, because of what he did in November of 2020, when Joe Biden prevailed in that election, I say prevailed, I don't use the word won because I don't believe he legitimately won, but when he prevailed in November of 2020, the price of crude oil was just above $40 per barrel. It's now at $105 a barrel today. It's been as high as 115 in recent days. But here's the point. It got to above 80 by last Thanksgiving, way before anything got hot in Ukraine. So my point is the Biden inflationary spiral predated anything regarding the uh, invasion, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So we can't allow him, we can't allow the corporate media, can't allow Biden to uh, to use this diversion, this, this deflection, this beard effectively to try to cover up what he's doing to American families. So American families, unfortunately, face a scenario right now of vastly crashing real wages. And how are they, how are they dealing with that? Well, in large respect, unfortunately, they're doing it through credit. So we're seeing an explosion of credit card debt that is the, the method through which a lot of working class families who simply don't have the resources to absorb this kind of inflationary shock that we see in our country right now, uh, they're doing it on credit. Now, we know that only lasts so long, number one, they'll soon exhaust that credit. And number two, in an era of inflation, which means rising interest rates, the price of servicing that credit debt gets ever more expensive. You know, and again, to, to bring this back, to not just from the economic sphere, but to the societal and cultural and moral realm, uh, it's very hard to have strong families when they can't pay their bills, right? That, that puts an incredible amount of stress on families, on marriages, it deters household formation, it deters having children. There's a reason that the birth rate is at an all-time low. There's a lot of cultural reasons and religious reasons, but there are also economic reasons why the birth rate in the United States is at an all-time low. Joe Biden and his globalist policies are inflicting massive, intense economic pain on the American people. What he has done in just over a year in office, listen, I thought things would be bad, Mario. I had no idea it would be this bad this quickly. And we have to respond uh, with answers. We have to respond with an agenda to return prosperities to American families, American communities, American churches, all of it. So we've heard um, Biden say that get prepared for food shortages, hmm. increase oil prices, et cetera, et cetera, supply chain breaches. What do you see happening in the next couple of months here in the US? Sure. Uh, Mario, I, I wish I could give you good news, but I'm always going to speak the truth as I see it. And what the numbers tell me and what the, the, uh, the data tell me right now is that unfortunately things are going to get worse before they get better. Because for example, let me be specific here. The United States has not really yet seen the effects of the recent lockdowns in China. And I, when I say lockdowns are there, I mean lockdowns of the biggest, most important cities in China, some of the biggest, most important cities in the world, uh, particularly Shanghai. So the supply chain issues that have not yet worked their way into the United States um, flow of goods is likely to get far, far worse. So unfortunately, the near-term scenario, in my view, is that things are going to get are going to get uh, are going to deteriorate and, and perhaps materially so. Uh, 
Now, there is always opportunity in chaos. Uh, we never welcome the chaos, and we know that, that Americans are already incredibly anxious. You know, when we look at, for example, uh, consumer confidence, consumer confidence right now, again, I always like to try to quantify things. This is my, my Wall Street training. A lot of people in politics just want a slogan here. I like to give data and evidence. When we look at consumer confidence and the, and the real gold uh, standard measure of consumer confidence in this country is the University of Michigan, which does a survey every single month and has been doing it for many, many decades. We are below the spring 2020 lockdown lows on consumer confidence. I mean, think about that for a moment. Those were scary times in America, March and April of 2020, when we really didn't know very much about this virus, when most Americans were trapped in their homes. Uh, we are lower now in consumer confidence than we were then. When you throw inflation and supply shortages, baby formula, for example, right now is, is in, you know, is in a dire place in this country. When you throw inflation and when you throw supply issues, massive supply issues on top of a society that is already crashing in confidence, uh, that is a toxic scenario. And I would, I'm sure a lot of the audience out there, I'm sure there's students of history. When you look back historically, you know, inflation does crazy things to societies, to societies that were once stable, were once prosperous. You throw some inflation upon them and, and societies can devolve very quickly. The most uh, significant and onerous example of that would be the Weimar Republic in Germany and that hyperinflation that led directly to Nazism. But that's hardly the only example. There are a lot of examples throughout history. Argentina, for example, roughly a century ago. Argentina was one of the most prosperous countries in the world. It was by many standards actually wealthier than the United States, very blessed with natural resources. Uh, but hyperinflation changed Argentina, led to military juntas, led to fascism in that country. And, and they have been mired in economic stagnation ever since, you know, for literally a century. So we should not assume that that can't happen in the United States, that the fallout from inflation for our culture, our society, our politics, all of it, um, you know, that it can't get incredibly toxic here. So I think we need to be on guard. I'm not saying this to be an alarmist, Mario, but I'm saying it to try to encourage the patriots out there to, you know, again, work and pray. Uh, let, let's pray for this country. Let's uh, let's pray for our leaders, even leaders who we don't think legitimately got into office. The point is they have power right now. Let's pray, pray for wisdom for those folks. And then let's also work. Let's work for an agenda that can fix these problems because these problems are intense. And, you know, to your to the point of your question, I think, unfortunately, these problems are going to accelerate and intensify in the coming weeks and months before they get better. Um, which then leads into um, that potential scenario that you just laid out. Isn't that exactly what the uh, Charles uh, Schwab and the World Economic Forum and our own administration right. wanting to happen, that there would be a collapse of our dollar? Um, they bring in their programmable dollar, the ESG um, incorporations now for on a personal basis, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't this really looking like it's right along the plan of what they are now brazenly telling us right. will happen? Totally, Mario. I'm glad you mentioned you know, the World Economic Forum, the Davos crowd, because it's important for us to realize, you know, in one sense, if you take a look at the economic situation and this deterioration, you might think, well, who would do this, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to, to harm the economy, to afflict this kind of anxiety upon the American people. But we need to remember that there are beneficiaries, unfortunately, 
from this terrible trajectory, from this terrible trend for the American economy. And uh, Schwab is probably the most representative. He's the personification, really, of that entire Davos product. By the way, just as a guy who does political messaging, I had to say Schwab. I mean, it's almost as if they they tried to come up with a cartoonish villain character. He's out of a Bond movie. Um, it, it's, it's surprising to me that they put him out front, but they do. I find that part comical, but there's nothing comical, of course, about what, what that crowd is doing, that multi multilateralist crowd, globalist crowd is doing to the prosperity of regular American citizens. And, and to your point, I think it's always important for us to ask when we're looking at the economy, when we're looking at politics, who benefits? Who benefits? There's a, a phrase, uh, I, I, I like to uh, channel my high school Latin teacher, Sister Mary Gale. She was a wonderful teacher, taught me a lot, not just about the Latin language, but also about the ancient Roman world. And she taught me that in, in Roman courts, there was a phrase that was often used, and it was a principle of jurisprudence in ancient Rome, qui bono, which means who benefits? Who benefits? So we ask, we should ask that here, qui bono, you know, who benefits from this inflation, from this globalism? Uh, well, the Chinese Communist Party, I would argue, uh, certainly benefits. The multinational CEOs that occupy the C-suites of American companies. Um, the open borders NGOs, the non-governmental organizations. Um, a lot of corrupt overseas oligarchs benefit. Defense contractors, uh, oil companies. So, you know, the, the list goes on. Who suffers are regular Americans. But the point is the the World Economic Forum Davos crowd that believes in a great reset, this is exactly what they want because they, they cannot take the diffusion of economic power. In other words, they want the concentration of economic power. And all of their globalist programs lead to the concentration of economic power. Let me give you a very specific example here because, again, I think it's important to give, to give the evidence and the data. Right now, the housing market in the United States, housing is becoming largely unaffordable to Americans because to regular aspiring Americans, particularly young ones, young people who might want to get married, might want to start a family, uh, housing is largely out of reach to them because of these inflationary trends that I'm talking about, because the price of mortgages, uh, that price has surged, meaning the interest rates that's charged on mortgages, as well as the underlying price of homes. Well, why is the price of homes galloping higher so aggressively? It's primarily because global capital is seeking a home, is seeking a safe harbor from this inflation. So capital markets are incredibly volatile and massive investment funds, places like BlackRock, for example, are very smartly saying uh, a, a place, a harbor during the storm, a harbor against inflation is single family homes. However, when I say they're being smart, I think they're also being incredibly corrupt. Right now in a lot of metro areas in the United States, particularly the really hot areas of the country, places like Arizona and Florida, the housing market is being dominated by institutional investors in single family homes, something that never happened before in this country. I mean, if you want to talk about the concentration of economic power, I personally believe they should be prohibited from buying those homes. I don't believe they should be able to operate in the single family housing market. But the point is, um, for folks out there, if you're a young couple or if your children um, are a young couple who's looking to buy a home, they are now competing against BlackRock for that home. This is the kind of situation, this is exactly the kind of scenario that uh, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum welcome, uh, which is terrible though, I would argue for the health and vitality of American society. Um, I wanna ask you for the short term, a couple months ago at a church service, the Lord spoke to me in, in, in this way, that it was time to prepare an ark for the people and for the church. Uh, we started a food pantry for our people, and um, we're building that up. We're telling them to begin to store food. We're obviously preparing spiritually um, for what might be up ahead. 
can you, from your understanding of world events and even financial, for the average family, what can we do? And for those that do have investments and are in the market, right? can you advise generically what we should be doing now? Well, you know, let me tell you, regarding food, one of the things that worries me most is what has happened in fertilizer prices in recent months. And uh, I put this on my, my social media, if the audience cares to take a look. Uh, I, I put them on, I'm on Getter, which is my preferred platform because it's a free speech platform. And my handle there is just at Steve. I am still on Twitter until they kick me off, but I'm at Cortez Steve there, Cortez with an S. But I put a chart up of fertilizer and it's a five-year chart. And you can see, if you look at it, that during the Trump term, during his four years in office, fertilizer prices, fertilizer prices were very stable and very low, very predictable and, and good. Great for American consumers, great for American farmers. Well, the exact opposite is now happening. Fertilizer prices since Joe Biden got in office, and again, this is not just because of the crisis in Ukraine, that's part of it, but it, the, the, the inflation explosion predated, massively predated Putin's invasion. Fertilizer prices have been absolutely soaring. They have been rocketing higher since Joe Biden got into office. And as a consequence of that, of course, it makes our food uh, dramatically more expensive. It's going to make some food simply unavailable. And I'll tell you just, I, I think it's important to look at the macro data, but also a micro uh, anecdote. I was speaking actually just yesterday with a farmer in Northeastern uh, Indiana, near the Fort Wayne area on the Ohio border. Some of the best farmland in the entire world. And his family has farmed there for generations. My mother's family actually farmed that area for generations. They homesteaded it as, as immigrants from Ireland. So I, I know a lot about the area and care about it. Speaking of this farmer, he himself has farmed his land for 40 years. And he believes that this is going to be the first growing season ever that he has a loss. Uh, he said, you know, I can't tell the future for sure. He's like, but the trends really look terrible. He says, as I put my food in the ground, as I, as I plant my seeds, it, it looks like we are going to lose money this year in the most fertile farmland and God's good earth. Uh, uh, why? Because of fertilizer prices. He says, because even though, the, even though the prices of grains are high, which normally is a great time for farmers, the fertilizer input prices are so high that it's more than eating up um, all of their profits. So it's a problem for the farmers and it's obviously a problem for American consumers. And I, I think you are smart and diligent. I don't think you're being alarmist uh, to try to, to prepare and to try to take care of your, uh, of your, your church folks. And it's, listen, I, I think, unfortunately, again, things are going to get worse before they get better. As far as financial markets too, I'm often asked about this and here's my, uh, here's the, the honest answer. For a lot of regular folks who don't have significant financial resources, there's not a whole lot you can do uh, about inflation, unfortunately. I hate to give you that answer, but that's just, I, I think, the reality. Sophisticated people can do all kinds of things if they have a whole lot of money. Um, but what, what, is, what is interesting in financial markets, and to prove my point about how pernicious and dangerous this inflation is, is think about this for a moment. We have right now, as we speak, it's been the worst start to a year ever for the NASDAQ, for the tech-heavy NASDAQ stocks ever. Uh, that, that index has existed since 1971. For the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which goes much further back, it's the fourth worst year ever so far. At the same time, it, uh, bonds are getting killed. What would happen normally, Mario, is if you have a balanced portfolio, let's say you believe in the 60-40 blend of stocks and bonds, normally if you have sort of carnage and volatility in stocks, well, your bonds are doing well because capital flows to, this, to the relative safety of, of bonds. So in a normal scenario, uh, you might not, even though you might be losing money on your stock side, uh, you're sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul, you're, you're making some money on your bond side, and you're probably okay. That is not happening this year. Why? Because of inflation. Stocks and bonds are getting killed at the same time. This is the worst start to a bond year 
ever in the history of the bond market. So there's no, there's no safe harbor. There's nowhere, uh, there's no flight to safety. As I said, the safe harbor for, for a lot of smart global capital is tangible assets. And that's really all capital wants right now. Things like crude oil, things like single family homes, they don't want financial assets. So it's really, it's, it's hard for me to exaggerate how dire that situation is right now. And for investors, uh, you know, of course, they've got to assess their own risk profile. I don't want to give them financial advice. But uh, again, my, I will tell you this, my view is for the, at least the near term, things are going to get worse before things get better. Just real quick on that, a follow-up. Um, real estate, hard assets, um, gold and silver, um, cryptocurrency, your, your thoughts, your opinion, not, not, not an advice, um, on crypto. And once we go to a programmable crypto dollar, will the government shut down all other crypto uh, networks? You know, uh, Mario, that's my worry with crypto, and I am not an expert on that. And, you know, I say that as somebody, I traded currencies for 25 years, but traditional currencies. And I think uh, in part, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm too old to really understand crypto as a, as a middle-aged guy. I don't really get it, to be honest. And I, I wouldn't want to offer any advice because I, I don't think I have significant insight there, but I would be really hesitant to put significant financial assets into crypto because I do think that the governments of the world, not just America, uh, they have a lot of levers they can pull to delegitimize crypto. Um, so I'm suspicious of crypto, but I'm also I'm certainly not betting against it either. And I do understand, you know, a lot of the rationale behind crypto. Uh, but just it's it's not a place for me I, personally. I think right now, tangible assets, um, uh, as you mentioned, you know, real estate commodities. Uh, I, I believe they're going to continue to do well. My last question: uh, Going to Russia and Ukraine. Um, a lot of what has been said and even you know, the onset of the war looks like it's playing right into the hands of these globalists, that this is something they want. What are your thoughts? Where is this thing going to go? And the drumbeat towards a potential World War III, is that still a possibility? So, Mario, I think it is absolutely outrageous that the United States House of Representatives, with a lot of help from Republicans, just passed a $40 billion aid package for the incredibly corrupt country of Ukraine, a place that is engaged in what is a regional battle that has no discernible U.S. national security interest, and at the same time that Americans are suffering the ravages of inflation here at home, at the same time that we have a very real border issue it's not the eastern border of Ukraine. It's the southern border of the United States. At that same time, House Republicans overwhelmingly, there were 57 brave Republicans who voted no, but House Republicans overwhelmingly voted to borrow. This is important. Talk about inflation. We don't have this money, okay? Voted to borrow $40 billion using the full faith and credit of the American taxpayer to send over to Ukraine at the same time that our NATO allies, supposedly our partners, in this confrontation are sending billions of dollars by the day to Putin because they are buying so much energy from him. Right now, NATO is literally funding both sides of this war. No one can explain to me how that makes any sense for the United States. So uh, I believe that, you know, again, Joe Biden is trying to use Putin, who's clearly a bad guy and a gangster. He's trying to use him as an excuse, as a beard to cover up for the Biden inflation surge. Uh, certainly our, our insertion of American power into that struggle, which I think is totally unjustified, it is exacerbating the inflation, but it didn't cause the inflation. The, incl the inflation is Biden's doing. It is a created crisis. And unfortunately, it's making working class Americans poorer by the day.
Thank you so much, Steve. Back to you, Jim. Number of questions, Steve, starting with the crypto. My understanding is the government cannot control the crypto, but they control the exchanges. And once they mm. control the exchanges, do they not in fact control the crypto? Yeah, you know, again, and that's my my biggest problem with crypto. And uh, but I, I do want to give a, a huge disclaimer of I'm no expert in crypto, and I'm not anti crypto. I'm not saying bet against them, uh, but I have never put out just to let you know I've never put a nickel of my own money into it, and I and I doubt I ever will. And yeah, partly for the reasons you're talking about, Jim, I, I think there are a lot of levers uh, at the that, that that governments can use to to gain control over crypto markets, even though they seem like they should be immune to that kind of power. I'm, I'm not so sure they are. Uh, government digital dollar, program, programmable dollar, dollar. It, uh, I, I assume it's inevitable. We're on the verge of that and that, that cannot be stopped. That will happen. Is that correct? Well, it seems like it, but we have to try to stop it. I mean, we have to, because the idea that we can be tracked in every single transaction of our life, uh, that is a very frightening place. You know, look, look, big tech already acts like big brother in so many ways and knows everything we're doing in our lives. Uh, the idea of a digital trackable currency uh, dollar takes that even further. So uh, is it inevitable? You might be right, but I'll tell you this, I'm gonna do everything I can politically, uh, financially to fight against that because it would be totally wrong. It would be a complete invasion of the privacy of Americans. They do not need to know, the government authorities do not need to know uh, where I spend every single dollar. That's, it, it's, it may be inevitable, but it's frightening and let's fight against it. I just, I just want to say something to our listeners as I continue on some questions for Steve, how relevant it is what Steve is sharing, how important this is, that this is not, when we talk about economic issues, this is not an outlier to biblical issues. Uh, World Parent Network, uh, Mario and I are both ordained pastors. I say at the outset, this is something like a church service because it is like a church service. The issues we're discussing are distinctly biblical, scriptural, theological, ethical, and moral. And so don't view this as, oh, well, we got off on rail on finances right now. This is right within the scope of everything's having to do with the nature of who God is. There are three freedoms. They run together. They rise and fall together. Religious liberty, economic liberty, freedom, and political freedom. They rise and fall together. Show me a country where one goes down, the other two will follow. Show me a country where one rises, the other two will follow. They go hand in hand with each other. So what we're talking about here, since God is the God of everything, including economics, what we're talking here is about the very core of the essence of theological issues, biblical issues, important scriptural issues. So this is not some uh, one-off that we're talking about. This is at the core of the heart, heart of God. I want to talk about the issue of the house prices. Now, we have it, it's, it's, it's understandable without going into the reasons why, but it's understandable back in 2007, 2008, why the house prices plummeted at one point, the bubble burst. With the meteoric rise of, of prices of homes, what could be the contributing factors that could, bring, could, could burst this bubble again? I mean, it cannot go up forever. That which goes right. up does eventually come down. What are the factors? What are the indicators? Are we, by virtue of the interest rates shooting up and people falling out of escrow for homes they're trying to buy, is that an indication right there that something is about to correct? You know, it could be. And unfortunately, foreclosures are surging, which isn't that surprising in an era of, you know, as we've been talking about in an era of, of crashing real wages where Americans are becoming poorer every month and the, and the debt service costs of any debt they hold, including housing debt, um, is soaring. And, and to put some numbers on that, by the way, it's, and it's not just for homeowners, because let's say you're a renter. If you can't afford to buy a home and a lot of Americans simply don't have that down payment, 
the median price of a U.S. home right now is $409,000, meaning for 20% down, you need over $80,000. Uh, that's just out of reach for a lot of Americans. So if you are a renter who maybe perhaps would like to be an owner but can't afford it, uh, rental prices in the United States have risen 18% in the last year. I mean, think about that, an 18% increase. And when you talk about inflation, that's sticky. That's sticky. And what I mean by that is food and energy prices can be very volatile and, go, and can go up and down. But when rents go up, they almost never go back down, right? And you don't, send, you don't uh, sign up for a rent every month or even every few months. You sign up for a year or two or three. So in all likelihood, those price increases are here to stay. But Jim, to your point about about housing and, and affordability. I think, unfortunately, as long as we allow the institutional money to continue to flow into single family homes, as long as we allow the Black Rocks of the world to buy single family homes, in my opinion, and I certainly could be wrong on this, but in my opinion, they're making a pretty rational bet that in an era, if we're in an inflation super cycle, housing is going to do pretty well. You know, why? Well, because we can only create so much more of it. There are, there are limits on how much housing we can add to this country, just land availability, environmental constraints, um, construction materials, construction labor. There are a lot of reasons why we can't quickly add a lot of housing capacity in this country. So if we're in an inflation super cycle, which I believe we are, then housing is going to continue to go higher and continue to get uh, to be unaffordable. And some of the folks out there, by the way, may say, hey, I own my home. I'm okay with my home going up in price. And, and I guess, you know, in theory, that is that might be welcomed by some people. But also remember this, and this gets back again to the to the moral side of this. If we're a country that believes in strong families, if we want more marriage, if we want more children, um, if we want to have that kind of a society, if we want to have a society where families can thrive on a single income again, something that used to be a given in this country and, and is largely absent, at least from working class folks in this country right now. If we want that kind of society, part of that is getting the economics right. And part of getting the economics right is making housing affordable. So I believe, for example, a, a couple policy fixes are, are badly needed. One is forbid the institutional money. Just say no more. BlackRock and, and similar companies, you cannot buy. You are out of the single family housing market in this country, you know, as of today. I think a second angle is, is regarding immigration. And I say this is the son of immigrants. Um, and, and Mario and I probably served on Trump's Hispanic Advisory Council. I also believe that not only should we get control of illegal migration to this country, which has to be stopped, I believe that a pause in even legal migration would be a very good idea for this country, culturally and economically. I'm not saying stop it forever, but I'm saying a pause on legal immigration and, and let's come up with a much better system to do legal immigration well. But one of the ancillary benefits, in my view, of a pause on legal immigration is that it would, it would in all likelihood, uh, reduce demand for housing and reduce prices, making it, again, affordable, particularly to, to younger families. I really appreciate your emphasis on the, on the, on the families, because the family, as we all know, is the building block of, of humanity, of society, and the economic issues you're talking about I uh, appreciate you how, how you focused on that because of the unbelievably difficult challenge it is for young families in, in this culture and even to have children. This is why uh, Victor Orban over in Hungary has become a model yeah. uh, for what he's done there. I won't walk through what he's done because we've covered it before on here. But even on marriages, uh, I, I don't know how often I've heard it's by the hundreds, by the hundreds. I feel, are you, are you married? No, we're not married. Why not? We don't have the funds to get married. Now, the fact is, I'll marry him for free. So their rationale on the cost of a wedding is 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 off kilter there, but but even the issue of the number one cause of divorce is financial pressure. It it, right. it creates the greatest amount of friction. So the 
implications of these economics on the very substance of family unit is, is a travesty. Let's go beyond BlackRock. And my understanding is also single family dwellings that Chinese are buying large numbers yes, of yes, as well. Yes. So here we have the Communist Party from China owning the, the house next door potentially right. for people. And just in a practical realm, a family friend asked me to help find him a place to rent. I made, I drove all over to apartment complexes, phoned one after another, after another, after another. Not one apartment complex even called me back. They had no vacancy. They had mm. none. We finally found one. He had lived in there before for 800 a month. He's now we got him back in there. It's 1400 a month. The same, wow. the same unit of what you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, also in, in the single family dwellings is the issue of our farmland all across across Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Kansas, et cetera, being bought up millions of acres by Bill Gates and others. Yes. What what does that indicate about what's coming in the future? Why are they buying farmland? And what does that tell us about what we may face? Well, you know, again, Jim, I, I think that people like Bill Gates, who, you know, I don't agree with him on much of anything, but I agree with his investing strategy. He's smart to buy farmland. I mean, because I think he sees what I see, which is an inflation super cycle. And in, in that scenario, again, tangible assets, land, single family homes, crude oil, um, commodities, they are going to continue to thrive. So I think uh, Bill Gates, who I think is, is frankly a, a, you know, a moral hazard to this country, is clearly a smart man and, and, is, and is investing very correctly there. What I would say uh, regarding the Chinese Communist Party, the fact that we allow them to own any real estate in America at all, in my view, is a complete travesty. And by the way, this is one of the few times where I would say we should be more like Canada. I don't often say that when I'm talking politics, but Canada just forbade all foreign ownership of real estate in Canada, uh, largely for this reason. It's mainly targeted at getting the Chinese Communist Party out of Canadian real estate, but they just said, hey, we're not going to you know, pick and choose. We're just going to say no foreign ownership of land in the country of Canada. I believe that that's another, and you're so right, that's a, that would be another very smart, very righteous rule for us to enact here in the United States, and particularly when it comes to farmland. I mean, we, it, I think it's problematic that they own any real estate here, but when you own farmland on that scale, now you're talking about an actual national security issue because can we feed ourselves um, effectively? So, you know, this is these are examples of it. It's interesting. I, I used to be, before Donald Trump, when I was just a, a Wall Street guy, when I just did financial television, I wasn't in politics, Jim, I was very much of a Wall Street Republican. And what I mean by that is, you know, I believed in so-called, you know, quote, free trade. And I, I didn't realize that, well, it really wasn't free. It was completely managed and it was managed against the interests of American workers. And Donald Trump came along, this orange guy came down the escalator and he converted me, uh, politically speaking. I mean, he really did. He won me over. Uh, he, he taught me and I think taught millions of Americans just how badly we were being manipulated and abused by the Chinese Communist Party and by our own elites, by the ruling class of the United States that takes its marching orders from Davos rather than Dayton, Ohio or Dallas, Texas. Um, and, and he won me over and he won me over to the idea of protectionism and protectionism used to be a dirty word in Republican circles. I don't think it should be any longer. I believe we need to protect the industries of the United States. We need to protect families in the United States. We need to protect our housing market in the United States, our, our farmland. So I want us to embrace the word protectionism and I wanna protect this country. I wanna protect it in all ways, culturally, um, and as well as materially and financially against the globalist crowd, against Davos, against the CCP. So I, I hope that that becomes a word that no longer uh, causes alarm within Republican circles or, or you know, right-wing conservative um, nationalist, populist nationalist circles. I hope it's something that an agenda that should be embraced. 
I also really appreciate you emphasizing the food, food issues, the food shortage, food supply chain. Uh, we're doing a conference July, July uh, 20 through 22 in Washington, D.C., the Future Conference. And in there, we're trying to help people prepare for what is to come. And one portion of our, we, we, we deal with everything from how you provide your health care, if that system goes down, or, or we continue to have a cancel culture. How do you keep from being canceled, your bank, your assets being frozen? Uh, how do you keep communications from being cut off, potentially, given uh, the, the nature of social media these days, and even potentially your cell phones eventually? Uh, how do we deal with education if we're ostracized from education because we're people of values, the values we hold, et cetera? But one of those we deal with is the health issues and the food issue, the food chain. And it is remarkably remarkable to me, even though I'm originally a Kansas farmer, so I'm aware with farm life. And by the way, I would contend that North Central Kansas is the best, best farmland. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but but on the, I, I'm intrigued by watching what I would contend is the Holy Spirit speaking to congregations at various parts of the country. And as congregations, just like Mario mentioned with his congregation, the food pantry, the number of congregations that now are training in agrarian ways, how to go back to agrarian, where the congregation now is growing their own food together as a congregation aware that they've got to prepare for what is to come in, in, in this arena. Now, you were asked a moment ago what to do, and you said, I, I regretfully, I don't know what to tell people to do, but if we go into the food supply chain challenges that it appears we're heading towards, mm -hmm. and I pray we're wrong, once it gets to a certain level, we have a society that comes apart because people are starving. They cannot eat. They cannot get food, and they get restless. Uh, walk us through what are some potential scenarios of how to avoid a, a moment like this. How can we prepare? Obviously, I've alluded to one here. Right. What are the options for people in this mo moment? Or is your answer going to be there really isn't a good option at this point, given the, the nature of leadership we have in Washington, D.C.? Right. Well, no, listen, I, I do think there are options. And, uh, and, and just to be clear, too. You know, when I say that I don't think there are a lot of good options, I mean in financial markets, you know, in terms of investing, I don't think there's a lot of great alternatives for regular folks unless you have, you know, a whole lot of money, unfortunately. And I just, you know, again, I, I'm very open to ideas, but I, I don't think there's a whole lot that regular folks can do in financial markets. But I think there's a lot they can do in their in their day to day life and regarding things like food security. No, absolutely. You know, one thing uh, that that my family and I that we have done lately, we're not growing our own food, but we are we are getting the food directly from growers. So, you know, people who can do that and I know not everyone can necessarily, but if you can find those growers uh, who you trust, the food is healthier, it's better and it's secure. And you're not turning your money over to gigantic corporations who hate us and who hate our values. Um, so I'm trying increasingly, and I would you know, encourage the audience out there as much as you can do that, uh, do it. I haven't gotten our, our big box uh, spending in the Cortez household down to zero. I, we still do get some boxes from Amazon that show up in the Cortez house, which bothers me. I'd like it to be none, but it's a lot fewer than it used to be. And, um, and I, I think it's important. If all of us on a micro level act for that macro agenda, you know, that will make a huge difference. But to the point of politics, and, you know, this is really where I have my expertise in terms of politics, you know, what can we do to make this agenda better? Well, we need to elect America first Republicans, not just Republicans, because I think it's almost inevitable that there will, there will be a Republican takeover of the House and probably the Senate 
in the fall of 2022 to be seated then in January of 2023. But we can't have a globalist Paul Ryan style Republican House of Representatives. We can't have that kind of globalist agenda dominate a Republican House. So I think it's imperative that these primaries, which are going on right now, uh, that you seek the, the very populist nationalist candidates who are out there. And thankfully, there are many of them. They really are. They are out there uh, because the establishment Republican Party, to me, is every bit as problematic, both morally and financially, as the Democrats are, uh, or maybe not quite as much, but close. And, um, and electing those people is part of the solution. I'm not saying it's the only solution. Politics isn't everything. We need to work on a micro level. We need to work in our own families, in our own churches, in our own private schools, all of that. But politics is part of the scenario as well. And, and these elections, though, to me, are, um, are going to be monumentally important. And if we do elect the right kind of Congress, the right America First Congress, both House and Senate, this fall, I believe that that will set the stage for us to once again regain control of our election processes in this country so that we once again have honest and auditable elections that we can count on. And if we have election sanctity, then I believe in 2024, we're going to elect an America first president. I hope and believe that's going to be Donald Trump, but whoever that candidate is, um, that can be pretty transformational in this country. But I think we only get there in 2024 if we first get it right this year in the primaries that are happening right now and in the fall elections of 2022. Give your contact information one more time because that's you, you've been so gracious to handle, answer so many questions. It's such a joy to talk with you. Give how they can contact you or go to your website or whatever to follow what you're, what you're saying. No, of course. And again, uh, Jim, Mario, thank you. Thank you to the audience out there. Thank you for having me today. Keep praying and working for this, for this great country of ours. Please find me on Getter. I'm just at Steve, very simple. I'm still on Twitter for now until they kick me out. And I'm at Cortez, Steve Cortez with an S. Thank you so much, my brother. It's good, it's good hearing you. Are, you always impress me how articulate. You are so hard to hear. You're one of the finest wordsmiths. I want to grow up and be like you. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you my brother. Mario, back to you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.